Recently, I got the distinct privilege of putting together some IKEA furniture. Now, if you have never put together IKEA furniture, this illustration won't mean a whole lot to you. But if you have tried to make that little box and that one little wrench work, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. A friend of mine went to IKEA for the very first time, and she went upstairs to the showroom, got her cart, and she's walking around looking at all the great stuff. Everything's laid out just right. And she starts trying to put a chest of drawers on her cart. And one of the employees ran over to her going, ma'am, 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 you can't take that. And she's like, well, I want that. And they're like, well, no, I'm sorry. That's not the way this works. And she's like, well, how does it work? And he's, well, you can take your phone or you can take a piece of paper and you take a picture of that little card right there that has an item number and an aisle number and a shelf number. And you take it downstairs to the warehouse and they will give you the box. And she's like, wait a minute, I have to put this together? Yes, that's the way Ikea works. She said, hey, there is nobody in my house that can make that look like that box that's in your warehouse. Nobody's going to make that work at my house. Well, sometimes we feel that way when we're parenting. You know, we see these kids, I mean, by six years old, they're in Juilliard as a, as a musical prodigy, and at eight-year-old, they already have their art exhibit at the Met, and by the time they're 12, they're multi-million dollar social influencers on YouTube, and we're looking at our kid who's sitting at the table drawing in the chocolate pudding and eating the chalk and thinking, there is nobody in my house that can make that look like that. Parenting has its challenges, but parenting also has wonderful rewards. And it was this extreme relationship, this stretching, heart-rending, time-demanding, patience-taking experience that God chose as his narrative for what he wanted our relationship with him to look like. He chose the descriptive of a parent and child relationship. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, that we're his. That is what we are. You see, relationships have expectations. We were preparing for our Christmas tea for our ladies one year, and I happened to walk by the kitchen just in time to hear one of our team leaders telling the new team leaders, look, this is what we've got right here. This is Becky's expectations. If we hit somewhere in the middle, we're going to be just right. And I had to chuckle because I was like, yeah, you pretty much got that right. We come into every relationship with expectations, whether it's a work-employee relationship, a teacher-student relationship, or that parent-child relationship. We all have expectations. Even God had expectations of what this relationship was going to look like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, I'm going to paint you a picture of what this relationship's going to look like. 
I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God wanted that kind of interactive relationship that parents and children look forward to and experience. Our children come into this relationship. I mean, they can't vocalize it. They can't put it into words or write it down, but they have expectations of us as parents. First of all, they are our apprentice. They come into this world saying, show me, show me. And they are watching 24-7, 365 days a week for us to show them how to experience, how to maneuver, how to navigate through this thing called life. They want us to show them. But I hate to tell you, they're not only watching at our good moments when we're really teaching them well, they're watching us all the time. We were getting... Um, our VBX, Vacation Bible Exploration, because nobody likes to go to school in the summer. So we're getting ready for VBX, and the kids are back there doing their crafts, and one of the little pre-Ks said a really bad word, and his mom just happened to be in the room, and she called his name and said, Son, we don't use that word. And he looked at her kind of puzzled and said, Yes, we do. So for the rest of the week, we walked around going, yes, we do, Mom. Yes, we do. We had a little fun with that one. But you see, they are learning and they are picking up even sometimes things we wish they wouldn't. They are watching us. They're saying, show me. But they also want our applause. They want us to encourage them. They want us to look at them in their attempts to do what we've shown them, their attempts to conquer the smallest things, and they want to see that we're pleased and we give them our applause. Now, our grandchildren are scattered out, so we have to do this thing called FaceTime. They have their little phone or their tablet, and they're running all over the house so we can see them and they can show us their latest toys or, or their newest ability to, you know, turn a cartwheel or whatever or the game they're playing on their computer. And this week, we were FaceTiming with Barakiah, and he wanted to show us his new ability. His parents have renovated a house, and they have worked on it for a long time, and they have, they have nailed and painted and scrubbed and sanded, and he has watched. So we watched as Barakiah, as Bear so skillfully took that nail and put it between his two fingers and took his hammer and successfully nailed it right into the middle of the coffee table. And we were going, good job, Bear, that's so good. And I knew his dad was going to come running in there in a minute going, okay, now we have a nail in the middle of the coffee table. They want our applause. He was so proud of himself because he'd showed us he could nail a nail like Dad. We hear the kids all the time. We hear them on the playground. We hear them at the school. We hear them in our own church going, Look, Mom, look, look, Dad, look, watch. See what I can do. They want our applause. Because you see, our, our applause spurs them on to try something else. But they also want our affection.
and our love. They just need that hug. They need to know that that love for them is never going to change, is never going to stop, is never going to go away. They want to show us. They want our applause. And they want our affection. But you know, as parents, we have some expectations too. We expect things from our kids and from this relationship. But I'm telling you, if you think you had children to be able to say, there'll always be someone who will love me, well, they might love you, but they're not always going to like you. I can tell you that right now. They are going to be with us forever. And some days are going to be wonderful. And some days we're going to be standing there going, choke them now, choke them now. <laughs> Let's get this over with. That expectation as a parent can often be daunting. What we want in response, that responsiveness we want from our children is their love. My kids are so different. I've got four of them, and they are each as unique as their names. They are each individuals. I mean, I've got one that's an officer in the military, and he is by the book. I mean, this is the way it's done. He is obviously the firstborn. He's the authoritarian. You know, he thinks we should go back to the Old Testament. The firstborn inherits everything, and tough luck for the rest of them. Well, then my second son is an architect, and he's the creative one. He's the one coming up with all of these things and putting them on paper and tweaking this and tweaking that and moving this here and that there. And, and Ben and Amy, they're just so different. We asked Chris a few months ago, we said, I said, Chris, I need you to start designing me a house. And he's like, sure, tell me what you want. And so I sent him pictures. I mean, he's got house plans. He's got barn dominiums. He's got all of these things that I just fell in love with. And so he's looking through them, and he called his dad. And he called me back, and he said, Mom, you and Dad need to talk. I was like, well, are we not on the same page? He said, Mom, you are not in the same book. He said, Dad wants a 700-square-foot library, and you want a 700-square-foot kitchen. And I'm like, we'll just put a cot in the middle, and we're good. And we were on very different pages. We still haven't resolved it. I'm still voting for the barn dominium, but I don't know. We came into this thing with expectations. But what we really want from our kids is we want the respect. We just want them to say, you know, I appreciate you, Mom and Dad. I respect you. I remember one time when my kids were all just about the point they were hitting those teen years, and we were sitting right there on the second row, and they were at that point that, you know, Dad's up here preaching his heart out, and they are totally disengaged. They are, like, messing with each other, and they're not paying attention. And so being a good mom, I leaned over and whispered into their ears, Hey, pay attention. And someone sitting behind me, when I leaned back up, they tapped me on the shoulder, and they said, It'll be okay, Mom. When they get about 24, you'll be smart again. 
And do you know what? They were right. Because when the kids got out of college and they're trying to get started in their life and they're get, trying to get their, you know, everything on the road, they're calling every day going, hey, Dad, you know, what do you think about this? I need to make this decision. What's your opinion? Hey, Mom, how do I do this? I'm the fixer, so they're calling me to fix things and him to give instructions. So they're calling us going, yep, they're about 24. We're smart again. But what we want from them in all of their uniqueness, what we want from them is to achieve their best. We want them to be able to accomplish what their giftings are and not be like their brother or their sibling or their sister. We want them to be who God created them to be. That reward, their accomplishment is our reward as parents. God came into this relationship with expectations as well. He expects from us a perpetual relationship. It changes, it fluctuates, but that relationship, you see, we never say to our kids, you're not my son anymore, you're not my daughter anymore. They may disappoint us, they may rebel, they may do things that we wish they hadn't have done, but we never say to them, you're not mine because you are mine, whether I want it or not at that moment. You're mine. And God says, you are perpetually my children. Jeremiah 31, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With an unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. What kind of love is it? He loved us first. His love is everlasting and it's unfailing, but his love is also proactive in that he draws us into this relationship. It's a perpetual relationship, but it's also an interactive relationship. You know what an interactive is? An interactive is when you do this, something's going to happen. When you do this, when you do A, B is going to happen. And God said, in my relationship with my children, there is also some interaction going to be taking place. And that is illustrated to us in the book of Malachi in a thing called tithing. What a strange word. What does that mean? It means that every dime I make, every dollar, that first dime belongs to God. God doesn't need my dimes. God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. What is he wanting for me? He's wanting an interactive that, so that he can say to us, well, let's just read it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. God could just say, hey, everything I have is yours, but he said, hey, let's have a little interactive here, because when we give, we open up a whole new level of our heart. We open our heart to be charitable. We open our heart to be sensitive to others around us. We open our hearts so that needs can be met for others, not because God needs our nickels and dimes, but because God needs to see our giving hearts. And God says, 
it's okay to test me. Now, I can tell you that there were times in our life, especially with four kids growing up, that things were tight. And sometimes things came, a whole, came along and you're thinking, God, I could really use that dime this week. I could really use, you know, that extra money I would give my tithes. Maybe I can make it up later. But I could really use that because we got to buy soccer equipment. And how many of you know how much sporting equipment costs? But you do the obedient thing and you give. And I can tell you I have dropped that envelope in the offering plate and said, okay, God, you got some soccer cleats to buy this week because they need them by Thursday and I don't have anything. And then on the way out the door from church, a friend walked up and said, aren't your kids playing soccer? Yeah. Why don't you come by my house? Because my boys have soccer shoes and soccer gear in every size. Come over and get it and uh, take whatever you need because if not, it's going to go to Goodwill. God answered my prayer. I gave. I tested him. And he responded. That interactive of saying, I want to bless you, but I want to know that you appreciate my blessing and that you want my blessing. There is a longing from God towards his children, a longing for us to reach our full potential. Romans 8:19 says that even creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For you see, when we reach our potential, we open the doors around us, our home, our children, our community. The scripture says that even creation itself benefits when we are reaching for our full potential. Do we ever get there? No, I am imperfect. I need God's grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. I am imperfect in so many ways, but when God looks at me and looks at my heart, he sees the potential he put there, and that's the daughter he relates to. The only one that was perfect is my sibling, not my earthly siblings, Believe me, they were no more perfect than I was. But we have a perfect sibling in Jesus Christ who showed us what it was like to have the full potential of God the Father within him and to be perfectly obedient and perfectly responsive to the Father. And he shows us what that looks like through his life. Matthew 6, 26, he tells us that we are valuable to God. Look at the birds of the field. They never sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? We want to be valued. And God is saying, look at the simplicity of nature. And if I provide, how much more value are you than all of those things? And Jesus showed us in his own life that we are valuable to the Father. He also showed us what God is like because he says he embodied God himself in the fact that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
When you've seen me react to those around me, you've seen the Father's reaction. When you've seen me respond to a leper who nobody should touch, but I touched him anyway, you see how the Father responds to those that, need, that are in need, that are in desperation. When you see me and you see me draw away and pray and talk and have communion with the Father, you see the Father-Son relationship that God is wanting. You see because you see me. You've seen the Father. God is also very protective of his children. John 1.12 says, excuse me, Matthew 26.53, Do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. My kids have a nickname for me. I wish it was something sweet like mommy or, you know. Uh, princess, or they call me a she-bear. Sometimes Andrew will call and he'll say, I need to talk to the she-bear for a minute. He's raising his own three boys. Why? Because I was protective of my kids. I hate to admit it, and I do apologize, but I have been known to grab a kid off the playground by his ear and drag him into the McDonald's restaurant and say, Whose child is this? <laughs> we need to talk. Why? Because that's my kid you just kicked off the slide. That's my child you just knocked down in the dirt, and some guys were going to hear about it. There is a protectiveness, and very honestly, I didn't expect that when I became a mom, but, you know, it comes up pretty fast. We protect our kids. How much more does our Father in heaven that Jesus said, look, I'm not going to, but I know if I wanted to, all I have to do is ask the Father, and he's going to respond with legions of angels. And if you want to know what a legion is, that's a whole bunch. We also have rights as, our ch as children of God, as his sons and his daughters. Everybody has rights this, these days. Everybody wants to tell you what their rights are. Everybody wants to tell you how you violated their rights. But we have the uniqueness of being called the children of God. How do we experience those rights? John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We have the right to call him Father. We have the right to expect that everything he has and everything that he showed us in that interactive with his perfect son, Jesus, that we have the right to those same things. Now, you may be listening to me today and you may be thinking, you know what? My kids aren't like that. Our relationship isn't good. Maybe they're in rebellion. You may look at your relationship with your own parents and think, I didn't have that kind of relationship with my father. I don't have that kind of narrative in my life. But you know, the perfect father, God, created the perfect children in Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, and they still rebelled. But in their rebellion, God never left them. He never turned his back on them. 
He never deserted them. And even though from the foundations of the world, the scripture tells us he knew and he still chose to create them. Knowing that they would fall, knowing that they would rebel, and even before he'd created them, he made the decision to provide for their restoration. You see, we have a beautiful, beautiful privilege, a beautiful potential in front of us. For Jeremiah 29, 11 says this about the heart of our Father. For I know the plans or the thoughts I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. When he looks at us, does he see our imperfections? Sure, he knows we're not perfect. That's why he provided grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's why Jesus had to come in the first place so that that relationship could be restored. But God still says, I know my plans, I know my thoughts, and they're good. And they're directed at you. And the relationship that I want with you is that parent and child relationship that I'm yours and you're mine. And if you haven't experienced that, it's really easy to get in to this family. Ask him. Believe him. And confess, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you to forgive me because I'm imperfect and I want to be restored to this relationship that you have called the parent and child interactive. With me this morning and honey, thank you again. You know, there's sometimes just hearing that message again, there was things I picked up on this time that I didn't pick up on the last time. So I would encourage you to go online and listen to this message again. But one thing that we did in the first service, I want to do again this morning. Would you put Jeremiah 29, verse 11 back up on the screen? I want you to think about this and apply this to yourself before we pray and before we go home today. We're going to read it through the first time. And when I teach people to memorize scripture, and I've taught that class here as like a small group from time to time, how to memorize scripture, I say, always start with the reference. So I would say Jeremiah 29, 11, And then I'd read the verse, and then I'd end it by saying the verse again, Jeremiah 29, 11. And you say, why? Because there are times in a conversation you not only want to be able to say the verse, but you want to tell somebody so they can look it up later where it's found at. If I want to go to your house, I need to do more than just be able to say, this is what your house looks like and this is who lives there. I need the address of that house. And so I want us this morning, let's just say it the first time together and then we'll say it a little more thoughtfully the second time. Read it with me. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans or thoughts I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now I want you to say it and really think about yourself this morning. 
this is what God intends for you to leave this church with today. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans or thoughts I have for you, for you, Debbie, for you, Kyle. God says, I know the plans, but I'm thinking about you. Declares, let's continue reading, declares the Lord. Now, what's he going to do? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. When I look at you, and I'm looking around this room, and I have different thoughts about all of you because of our interactions. I have different thoughts because of times we have spent together or time we haven't spent together. So I have unique thoughts about each of you. God has very unique thoughts about you. He knows you. He loves you. And as Becky said this morning in the message, it's with an everlasting love. So would you pray with me today? Father, when we stand in your presence like this, and we've heard a message, not that just gives you thanks for our mothers, but Lord, we see the image of God in our mothers. For so many of us, it was our mothers who taught us to love you. It was our mothers who taught us to pray. It was our mothers who read your word to us. It was our mothers, Lord, who loved us, bathed us, corrected us, fed us, nurtured us. We thank you for that. But we remind ourselves it's the image of God in them. And Lord, today, Becky has reminded us this is how you love us. And so I thank you that your thoughts for each and every one of us are so unique according to Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. You have thoughts to bless us, to prosper us, to give us hope and to give us a future. And I pray if there's anyone watching online or here today that feels hopeless or feels like for whatever the reason that God they're distant from you or that you're distant for them, would you help them to understand and to do just what Becky said a moment ago and that's ask you. Father, I pray that right now each of us will surrender our lives to you. And if you've never done that before or maybe you've drifted away from your commitment to faith in Christ, would you pray with me right now? You don't have to pray out loud, but just talk to the Lord in your mind and commit your life to him today. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins and by his blood to wash away my sins and to give me a hope and a future. Lord, I just want to confess right now that I know you did that for me. So I'm asking you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. And as much as I know how, I commit myself to you today. 
which in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, God bless you. I'm so glad you were here with us today. Becky's going to be at the back. Greet her. If you need prayer, Pastor Corey and I will be down front, and we'll be happy to pray with you before you leave this morning. Have a happy Mother's Day. I believe there's a gift for you. Am I correct? A gift for the ladies in the back that uh, Becky and them have prepared for you and our ladies have prepared for you. May the Lord bless you with his peace. May the Lord prosper you. May the Lord make you always hopeful. And may you see a future that he has in store for you with his smile. God bless you. Go in peace today. Amen.